0: Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So I'm going to jump right into it. So today I'm beginning a brand new series called, Oh My God. And some of you saw that and you went, Oh my God, he hasn't chosen that as a sermon title because something's happened with that expression today. You know, the expression, oh, my God, should be a declaration of God's greatness and wonder instead of becoming this silly and insipid little thing that people, oh, my God, oh, my God, don't you find that, like, as annoying as anything? And when I hear people say that, I think, really? And so here's my, my goal here in this series is I'm going to reclaim the expression. And if I'm successful, then I'm going to try to reclaim flipping the bird. I think it would make a great greeting for people. Why, <laughs> why, why does everything have to be so vulgar? For for goodness sakes. And let me tell you something about this expression, oh my God. If you go online and you look up phrases that make you sound stupid, uh, there's a whole list of them. Uh, Stuff like, uh, like whatever, uh, spoiler alert, I know, right? Booyah, Uh, duh, awesome's on the list, by the way. And oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And so we're going to try to redeem the expression during this series. So I have a great story for you. My mom's in assisted living now, and and, uh, she was sitting around with three other biddies. And uh, my mom loves to brag about me. You probably know that. And so she says, you know, my son's a pastor. And when he enters a room, people say, reverend. Well, the lady across from her said, well, that's nothing. My son's a bishop. And when he walks in the room, people say, most reverend. And then the third woman says, well, that's really nothing because my son is the Pope. And when he walks in the room, people say, your holiness. And then the third, fourth woman, rather, she says, well, I got you all beat. My son is seven feet, two inches tall. He weighs 365 pounds. And when he walks in the room, people say, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this series uh, Oh my God, Uh, this first message is entitled, Oh, the heavens. Not to be confused with, oh, thank heaven for 7-11. It's a different expression. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at God's cosmos and creation. And I'm telling you, I think you're going to enjoy the ride. And so we're going to start in in Psalm chapter 8. Actually, I don't even have to look at this because I know this verse by heart because it's one of those verses that resonates with me. And it's a Psalm of David, Psalm uh, 8, verse 3. And he says, when I consider the heavens, the works of your faith, fingers this the moon and the stars which you have ordained what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him and i think we can all understand the context theo oh, this is one of david's earliest psalms and we all know what he did before he was a king what was he before he was a king yeah he was a shepherd boy and you could imagine him lying out of the hills at night tending the sheep and it would have been pitch black and he would have been looking at the the stars and he would have been looking at the heavens And one day he had an experience and he was overwhelmed by the heavens. And he said, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the the stars and the moon, which you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of? You have created this, this huge universe, this huge heavens. And yet for some reason, you care about insignificant little me and the son of man, that you visit him. The reason this verse resonates with me is I had an experience that I would liken to David's in Psalm chapter 8. And I was 10 years old, and and I would call this an existential crisis. If if a a 10-year-old can have an existential crisis, this was one. And uh, when we were younger, until I was about 12, we used to summer on Delta Beach on Lake Manitoba. How many of you know where that is? And it's just north of la Prairie it's this beautiful wide beach shallow waters and the thing about it was the nights because there's no street lights there's no lights anywhere the cottages were all dimly lit and if you go down to the beach at night In the absence of all these lights of the city that we have, you'd look up at the stars and you would see the heavens like you never saw them before. And one night we were having a little campfire and there was just me and my dad left. I remember the two of us were sitting on a log by the campfire and I looked up at the heavens and I saw the heavens like I'd never seen them before. And out of my mouth, my 10-year-old mouth, came these words. I said, look at the stars. There must be A million of them. For a 10 year old, a million is the magic number, right? A million dollars, a million stars, a million anything. And my dad said something to me that shocked me and startled me. He said, Mark, there are more stars in the sky than there are sea, sorry, sand on the seashore. And, and, and I thought, how, how, could, how could that be? And I'm thinking, I'm on this, on this beach, and the sand is everywhere, everywhere I can see. The sand is in my socks. The sand is in my shorts. The sand is, is in my bed. Our cottage people ran in and out of it all day long. No one ever wiped their feet. There was sand everywhere. My mother finally wanted to sell the cottage because she couldn't keep it clean. There was so much sand. And I thought, how can it be that there's more stars in the sky than there is sand on the sea? And I had this moment, this existential crisis where I thought to myself, imagine this 10-year-old mind thinking this, either there is a God in the heavens or we're all lost in space or something to that effect. And that moment in my life started this journey to where I am today. And it was all about looking at, and I thought this didn't happen by accident. This is what my 10-year-old mind was thinking. This did not happen by accident. Something, someone has created this. And you know, it's fascinating because here's what the scripture says about this. It's, it's in uh, Psalm 19 verse 1, and it's also David, remember, a few, few verses later, a few chapters later, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. He says the purpose of the heavens is to show the glory of God. And when we look up at heaven, we should see it. We should understand the magnificence and the greatness of, and the grandeur of our God. And you know, when you look up at the sky, even on the darkest night, you know how many stars you'll see? You'll only see 3,000 stars if, if you went about counting them, which you probably won't. But they have counted them, or at least they've, they've estimated them. And do you know how many stars there are? They estimate there is 100 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way alone, and there's 100 billion galaxies in the universe. Do the math. That's 200 billion trillion stars. That is a number you can't understand. That is a number you can't comprehend. We have a universe that is 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other with 200 billion trillion stars. It would take you, if you, if you could fly at the speed of light, it would take you 13.67 billion years at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second to get from one end to the other. That is a universe that is beyond our comprehension. And God says it's because the heavens declare his glory. And you shouldn't be able to look skyward without thinking about God. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen photographs that have come back from the Hubble Space Telescope? How many of you have seen them not, not many have seen them. I'm, so, I'm surprised by that. It was launched in, in, in 1990. It's almost at the end of its life. It's been replaced by the James Webb Space uh, Satellite. It's in low Earth orbit, 335 miles above the Earth. So now it's no longer restricted to the Earth's atmosphere and having to look through that. And it peers into deep space, and they're sending back pictures that are mind-boggling. They're stunning. They're startling. Do you have a minute? I could show you some. I could show you some. I'm going to show them to you whether you want to see them or not, because I want want to see them. Here's just just a few of them. This this one's called the Butterfly Nebula. I I don't know why they called it that. Uh, This one here is called the Charioteer, and it's supposed to look like a a chariot, a guy riding a chariot, but I'll, I'll tell you what's more magnificent about that this particular constellation is 5.4 billion light years away. Do do you know what that means? It probably no longer exists. If it's that, we are seeing the image at the speed of light uh, of 5.4 billion light years to get the image. It's probably long gone. And so that's just a little mind-bender to get you going here. This one here is called the Stars in Birth Galaxy. This one here is called the Horsehead Nebula. It doesn't look like a horsehead to me. That looks like that creature in the bar scene from Star Wars, the first one. Do you remember that? That's what that goofy thing is. Uh, This one's called the Westlander Two, named after a particular astronomer. But this is my favorite of all. James Webb has these as well. This is called the Pillars of Creation. And it looks to me... Like the fingers of God, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers. And God created this. And it's it's meant to startle and surprise us and inspire us. And I don't think we should be able to look at these images, and there's hundreds and hundreds more of these, without beginning to realize that they express the glory of God. So I'm gonna take you on a little journey today. This is gonna be a little more heady message than you're used to. You're okay with that? You're gonna to have to put on your thinking caps. I remember when I was in grade two, my grade two teacher, she would, whenever we would do a hard subject, she'd say, all right, class, everybody put on your thinking caps, and the class would do this. They would all go like this. And I'm sitting there looking, and I'm saying, why am I the only one who doesn't have a thinking cap? Where, where do you get the stupid thinking cap? I wasn't very bright when I was in grade two. Uh, but anyway, this is going to be a little bit more heady message than, than, than maybe what you're used to. And so here's what's important about this. See, for most of us, the essence of faith doesn't have much to do with the cosmos. For most of us, we have Jesus living in us. God lives in us. We have a personal relationship with the living God. That's probably all the evidence we need. And you live with him and know him every single day. But the world is not so fortunate. And what they do is they actually need the cosmos. And scientists have been looking at the cosmos and they're actually looking at the right place. The astronomers and the, the cosmologists and the physicists, they, they're looking at the sky and they're looking at the universe because they believe it holds the keys to creation and the universe. And they're actually correct. They're looking in the right place because the heavens declare the glory of God. So they're looking in the right place. Are they coming to the right conclusion is the bigger question, right? So I'm, g- I'm going to give you a little, little history lesson here about this. So the, the fathers of modern astronomy... Uh, are these three men. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. They're Tycho Brahe, Johannes Kepler, and Isaac Newton. And if you look at the dates, you recognize that each one of these men built upon the next man's work. And by the time we got to Newton, we had this incredible understanding of the universe as it is. And what's fascinating about these three men was they were actually all Christians, if you go read their stories, and they came to it from from a theistic perspective. Whatever the scripture said was true, and the science was going to have to confirm that. So that was the the, the basis of their thought. And even the atheist Voltaire, who had no use for God or the Bible, he said this, before Kepler, all men were blind, but Kepler had one eye and Newton had two eyes. And Newton brought us more understanding in a short period of time to the world in which we live in than almost any other man. I mean, you remember the discoveries. I mean, for one thing, he invented gravity. Weren't you happy that he invented gravity? You'd never be able to get down the stairs without that invention of, of gravity. I'm, I'm kidding. He didn't invent it, but he did discover it with the apple on his head. You remember the story. He also articulated the three laws of motion, which most of you know, most of you learn in school. You may or may not know that he invented calculus, the mathematical uh, calculations of calculus. And here's one that almost nobody knows, that he was also the lead guitarist for the rock group Queen. It's true. There, 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 he is, and 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 I know some of you think, "Why well, isn't that Brian May?" You know, here's my question: Do you ever ever see Isaac Newton and Brian May together at the same time? No, no, you don't, because they're the same person. That's why. And 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 look at this if you want further proof. Look at there. There's Brent, Brian May today. This is Isaac Newton. You can't convince me otherwise. So. So I want to tell you something that a lot of other people don't know about Newton, that not only was he a mathematician and a physicist and a scientist and an astronomer, he was actually a pretty uh, capable theologian. And he loved the Bible, and he loved God. And in his day and age, one of the big arguments, one of the big concerns from the church was people thought the end of the world was coming, and they had had reason to believe that, and that they thought Jesus was returning. He didn't think it was so, and he didn't think the time was right. So he actually wrote a study. Are you ready for this? Isaac Newton wrote a study on the Book of Revelation, and he—the whole point was to dispute this contention that Jesus was coming and the world was about to end. And he actually came up with a date that the world was going to end. Would you you like to know what it is? Yeah, I'll tell you. It was 2060. 2060. He said the world will not end any time before 2060, maybe later. And it's sort of an exciting number because a bunch of you in this room, you're going to be alive in 2060. So you're going to be able to find out if it's true or not. And you know, for me, the key to predicting the end of the world is do it at some point beyond your lifestyle, lifespan. That's the the secret. For me, I'm going, so far so good, Newton. You're kind of nailing this, right? So let me know how it goes in 2060 if I'm not around, just, just so you know. So so anyway, so this this was what we had from the fathers of modern astronomy, and they were part of the Renaissance. And the Renaissance was not only a scientific enlightenment, but it was a spiritual awakening as well. But then after the Renaissance came the great awake. Or sorry, the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment actually was not not enlightened at all. These were the people that actually didn't believe in God, and they didn't think we needed God, and they had a bunch of reasons why we didn't. And there were people like the, the atheist Voltaire and people like Friedrich Nietzsche and, and psychiatrists like Sigmund Freud. And they started to define the world based on the fact that they didn't need a God. And one of the reasons they didn't need a God was because they regarded the universe as infinite, that it had no beginning and that it had no end, that it never changed, it had always been there. And if it was just sort of there for whatever reason by chance and we were just part of you know, the whole cosmic roll of the dice, then there's really no reason to invoke the need of a god. But you see, all of that has changed in the last 100 years with modern astronomy, so much so that here's, the, here's what I'd call the, the cosmic conundrum. Here's the, the question I'm going to answer or at least talk about today. If the universe had a beginning, then the evidence demands a verdict. If the universe had a, a beginning... I uh, See, up until 1927, I'll say it again, uh, most of the astronomers and cosmologists believed that the universe was static, that it was always the same, had always been the same, it w- was infinite in the past and will be infinite in the future. No one thought it had a beginning except those who believed in the Bible. This was sort of a product of the Enlightenment. And then what happened in 1927, there was a a man by the name of George Lemaître. Here's a picture of him. He was a Catholic priest. He was a Jesuit, highly educated, very smart. And uh, not only was he a priest, but he was a mathematician. He was a physicist. He was an astronomer. He was a professor. You can look at all the stuff behind them. He obviously knows something that he's drawn on that board that I don't understand. And uh, he was this really brilliant man. And what he did was he took his faith and he took his science And he figured out how to look at the heavens and to merge these two. And he came up with an idea. And uh, he felt like mathematically and cosmologically cosmologically it was true. And it was that there was a singularity, a moment, a point in time when the universe came into being. And uh, so he started saying that the universe was birthed at a particular point in the past and it has been expanding ever since. And all of the others thought he was crazy and they mocked him and they actually used a, a, a derisive term for it. They called it the Who can guess what they called it? You all know it. Yeah, it, it, the Big Bang Theory. That's where it came. He, he didn't come up with the term the Big Bang Theory. His critics came up with it. And, and people like Sir Frederick uh, Hoyle and these, these, these brilliant astronomers of the day, they mocked him and they, and they balked at it. And they said, There's no, there was no Big Bang. That's, that's absolutely nonsense. And so they were using it. We use it today because it's been more or less proven. But in those days, it, it was not something that, that, that people agreed with. So, so this is what happened. So Lemaitre came up with this and his peers were, were mocking him and dis, disagreeing with him. And then something happened in, in 1929. He had an encounter with a man you all know named Albert Einstein. And the, the two of them were in a hotel and they were on their way to a physics conference and they got into a cab today together. They were sharing a cab ride. And I love this story. Lemaitre took the opportunity to correct Albert Einstein. How many of you would like to correct Albert Einstein, this genius? And that's what he did. And he very respectfully did it. But basically what he told him was this. He said, you know, you've had these calculations about the universe being static, but I'm afraid to tell you that you have fudged the numbers and your constant is not valid. And it is not a static universe, but it was birthed in a singular moment and it's been expanding ever since. Now, Einstein was not very happy about this, but then very shortly after, uh, there was a discovery made in California by a man by the name of Edwin Hubble, which the Hubble Space Telescope is named after. Now, he wasn't using the, the, the space telescope. He was using the Hooker Telescope. It was a seven-meter uh, huge telescope on the top of a mountain, and he was looking into the heavens, and he was noticing something called the redshift. I'm not going to explain it because I don't understand it. And, uh, and, and he invites Einstein. He says, you've got to come and see what I'm seeing. And so he invites Einstein, so Einstein makes a trip to California, and here's the picture, it was actually a newsreel, and you've got Hubble back there with his, his pipe, and Einstein peering into this, and all of a sudden, Einstein has a revelation that what he has believed and what he has been saying was not true. And two weeks later, he granted an interview with the New York Times, and he said, I was wrong, the universe is not static. Static. And this is basically what he said. It says, Einstein later admits that his attempt to circumvent the conclusion that the universe had a beginning by gerrymandering his own equations of general relativity was the greatest blunder of my life, quote. It was the greatest blunder of his life. And George Lemaitre actually was the one who pointed it out and corrected him. And he realized he had made a mistake. Now, why, why why did they not want to believe that there was this singularity, this big bang, this moment of creation? Because if there is a moment of creation, the evidence demands a verdict that someone or something has created it. And it points to the creator. You can't actually believe this without saying something caused this. And it points to the, to the creator God. So this was, this was a revelation. And, you know, when you think of the universe, today everybody believes in the Big Bang Theory, by the way. All the cosmologists, all the astronomers, they've all kind of recognized, yes, it's true. But when you imagine the universe, how many of you imagine it like this, like a firework going off and the thing exploding? You've all seen those starburst uh, fireworks. They, they kind of go off in every direction and the particles go off in every direction. How many can imagine this picture? And I've always imagined the universe looking like that, going off in every single direction. They're telling us that's not what it looks like because of the forces of gravity. And Einstein proved this, that the universe is actually curved. And it's actually flat and curved. And the most recent diagram here it is: the accelerated expansion of the universe is that it began in the Big Bang, uh, 13.67 billion years ago. I'm not going to argue about when this happened. You know, whether it was six thousand years ago, six billion, six million—doesn't matter to me. The point is, at some point, it began, and it was, and it, and it accelerated out. And because of the particles of the planets and the stars. You've got the forces of gravity on it, and it causes it to curve like that. And it's flat, and it's curved. And as it's going out, it's actually getting flatter and flatter. There we are on the, on the outside rings of this. And I've got a fascinating... And often, if you go online and you look up the, the curvature of the universe, they'll see, actually, they look like sheets of paper curved like this. And I'll tell you what's fascinating... Here's what the scripture says about it. It's in, in, in Isaiah chapter 34. It says, all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved. Ready for this? And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. And then you jump into the book of Revelation in the book of Revelation, verse six or chapter 6, verse 14. It says, the heavens receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So you know what's gonna happen? At some point, God's gonna say, okay, we're done. And he's gonna roll the whole universe up. And the fact that it is curved and it's flat and that God said he will roll it up out like a scroll. You see, here's what we know. Everything in scripture needs to be confirmed by science because we know as believers that the fact that the, the universe was created by God. And so these things that were said thousands of years ago, the scientists are just figuring it out now. And that should excite us. How many of you have, I've lost you about 10 minutes ago and, and you're wondering when I'm gonna move on to something else, <laughs> you know, a few of you, <laughs> that's okay. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Because I, I, wanna, give you, I wanna bring it up a little bit more up to date. So, you know, after Einstein passed away, the man who carried on his work, this name you'll all recognize was Stephen Hawking. And Stephen Hawking was sort of our generation's guy. And uh, he, of course, had ALS. He was confined to a wheelchair, Lou Gehrig's disease, but he had this brilliant mind. And about 20, 25 years ago, he, he wrote this book. It was a bestseller called A Brief History of Time. How many of you read A Brief History of Time? Did any of you read it? A few people read this book, not too many. And I really wanted to read it because time always fascinates me. It was all about the Big Bang. I wanted to read about it. And uh, it's, here's the unfortunate thing about Stephen Hawking. He died four years ago. And the unfortunate thing for me was this, was that in, the, in this book, at the end of it, the last line is, if we could figure out these things, we could find the mind of God. And so he was open. He had this wife who was a Christian who was praying for him every day. And he was looking at the heavens to declare the glory of God. And one would think it would lead it to, to him. Uh, but he was, he was hung up on something. And the last thing he wrote, in the last book that he wrote, he said this, I have come to the conclusion that there is no God and no one directs the universe. That was was a sad statement for me that that's where he ended at the end of his life. But in this particular book, he talks about the Big Bang and he describes it. And I'm going to share it with you because it's a fascinating description. He said this a tiny microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy floating in the void of nothingness, spontaneously exploded, spawning the planets and the stars and the galaxies of our universe today. And I, I, don't, I want you to think about that. That's his description of the Big Bang Theory. A tiny microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy just floating in the void of nothingness, spontaneously for no reason whatsoever, exploded. Spawning these stars and the planets and the galaxies of our universe today, where there is 200 billion trillion stars the size of the sun, and the expanse of the universe is 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other, that is more faith than any person I've ever known in my whole life. Anybody could that could believe that a tiny microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy floating in the void of nothingness, spontaneously exploded into the universe that we have today. You can believe that if you want, but you can believe that at your own peril. Because I actually know what that tiny, microscopic dot of concentrated matter and energy is. Would you like me to share it with you? I'm going to anyway, once again, whether you want me to or not. And and, and we know this verse, it's in Hebrews chapter 11. And it explains how the universe came into being. And it says this in verse 3 By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And the things which are seen were made of things, were not made of things which are visible. This is what he says. He says, This universe you see that declares the glory of God. It didn't just appear. I made it by the word of God. The word that proceeded out of my mouth created, that was the tiny microscopic dot. That was the the one thing, the one moment was when God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He declared it, and it came into being. And it says that by faith, we know this and we understand this, that the things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. There was something invisible. And that invisible thing was the 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 word of God. The word of God has enough power. See, God can create this universe in an instant if he wanted to, because this is God. This is this amazing, incredible God in which we know and we love and we serve that has the power to make it. It's called creatio ex nihilo in, in the Latin, which means creation out of, out of nothing. And so I have this question that I love to ask people about this. We'll have some fun with this. So he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First line in the Bible. My question for you is, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of what? In the beginning of God? can't be the beginning of God. God has no beginning, no end. Was it in the beginning of man? It wasn't the beginning of man because man wasn't made till after the heavens and the earth. Were, so beginning of what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning of what? Someone said it, time, but actually it's two things. It's space and time. It was the beginning of space and time. And here's one of the mind-bending things that we struggle with, that God does not live in the realm of space or time. Is God, let let me ask you this, is God limited by by space? He's not limited by space. He is omnipresent, meaning he can be anywhere he wants and actually not only anywhere at once, but everywhere at once. How's that possible? How many of you have noticed that you are limited by space? You can only be in one place at a time. You had to make a decision this morning, didn't you? I can either go be at church or stay in bed, but I can't do both unless I'm watching online. Right? <laughs> those people pulled it off, but the the rest of you had to make a decision. We are, we are we are not omnipresent, but God is. He is not bound by space. The other thing He's not bound by he's not bound by time, and we often don't think about this. That God lives in a timeless state. and You say, "Well, I don't know if I believe that." Let me prove it to you. Titus chapter one verse two says, "In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised." before time began and the word time there is the word chronos where we get our word chronological from and so what the scripture is telling us is that there was a moment in time where time began god said something and god and time began and here's where we struggle with this because sort of for us we kind of feel like time is the constant it's the one thing you can't change we live in the, what's called the vector of time. We live in the arrow of time, do we not? We move from one moment to the next, right? I'm in this moment, that moment's over, now I'm in the next moment, oh, now that moment's over, I'm in the next moment, and I can only move forward in time. It's the arrow of time, and I can't go back to another moment. That's right, right? You can't move, go back to a moment. Right, once it's passed, it's passed. It, it feels constant to us. And every man knows what I'm talking about because you'd like to go back 30 moments and take back that thing you said to your wife, but you can't right? Every man knows what I'm talking about. If I could just, oh, why did I say that 30 seconds ago? And now I can't go and retract that. I can't go back in time. But you see, God doesn't live in that. It says that God is the alpha, the omega. He is at the the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Does it say he's at the beginning and the end? It says he is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. God experiences everything at once, whereas we, we experience things individually moment by moment. That's why when, when Lazarus was dead for four days, why did that not bother Jesus? It wasn't a problem for him because in his divinity, he was not bound by time. And the, the, the sisters were upset. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I, God is not bound by time time this is an incredible thing for us to think about see and I, I love the whole idea of time travel i'd love to be able to time travel wouldn't you i mean how many of you would go back and change something in your life really? how many really a bunch of you are so happy with your perfect life you wouldn't change a single thing are you kidding me all right. I'd change this morning already if I had a chance. Uh, you know, I, just, I mean, I love time travel. I, I, just, I just fascinates me. I've seen every time travel movie there is. I actually tried to join a, a time travel club in Winnipeg here. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't break in because these guys go back years. And, and, and finally they accepted me into the club and, and I remember the first meeting I went to Kathy was out and I was going off to the meeting so I left her a note and I said, Kathy, I've gone off to my first time travel meeting you'll know I've been successful if a Wellington wins the Battle of Waterloo the Allies win the Second World War and Winnipeg gets the jets back Right? <laughs> so you, you know how I did, pretty good but, but the fact of the matter is we, we can't change time. We are stuck in, the, in, in this moment of time. And here, here's what's, I think, fascinating to me is that when we leave this world, we're going to leave the vector of time because time and space is something that's restricted to this planet. Now, we're restricted to time and space, but God isn't. And I messed with your head a few months ago. I said, I just threw it out and I didn't explain it. And people came up to me and said, Pastor Mark, where did you get to make that thing up? And this is what I said. I said, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be anybody waiting for you. And a bunch of people said, what do you mean nobody's going to be waiting for me when I get to heaven? I said, no, no, they're not going to be waiting for you. Because when you get to heaven, you leave the realm of space and time, and you now live in the timeless state that God lives in, the forever eternal now. And so in essence, we're all going to arrive in heaven at the same time. I want you to think about that. It's a mind bender. Did you put on your thinking cap when I told you to? Because this is when it's required, put on your thinking cap. And if if we become into the timeless state, there is no time in heaven. And we're going to get there. And that's why the scripture says to God, a thousand, days is a, a thousand years is one day, and one day is a thousand years. He's not restricted to time. We're going to leave this world. We're not going to be restricted to time. So in essence, it's going to feel like we all arrived in heaven at the same time. You see, here, here's something to think about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, and God said, what did he say? Let there be, let there be light. And then Einstein comes along and he tells us something. And he says, you know, everybody thinks that that time is the constant in the universe. And he has this theory of relativity that time was relative. And he said, no, no, time isn't the constant. Light is the constant. And when God said, let there be light, what he did was he started the vector of time. And so what happened is that, that time is actually relative to light. And Einstein said, if you could approach the speed of light, time would slow down. If you could reach the speed of light, time would stop. And so God said, let there be light, and God was light, and God lives in this timeless state. So there you are, and you say, I don't get it. Well, let me explain it to you. Are you ready for this? Here's my best illustration I can give you. How many of you have ever driven across Saskatchewan? Anybody ever driven? It's a a wonderful experience, isn't it? And you drive across Saskatchewan, and and, and here's how you do it. You you do it, uh, you know, in this ramrod straight road, flat as a pancake, ramrod Strait from Moosomin to Maple Creek. And I mean, I mean it's a fascinating place, Saskatchewan, isn't it? I mean, it's so flat. It's the only place in the world where you can't literally physically jump to your death. There's nowhere high enough. And you know, Pastor Aubrey grew up there and he said one day his dog ran away and he stood on the porch and walked, watched it run for four days. And and, and Pastor Steve, he grew up in Saskatchewan too. He's from Turtleford, Saskatchewan. There really is a place. And and Steve told me that on a clear day, if you looked really carefully, you could see the back of your own head. (laughs) And in his case, that would just be a glimmer of light off the dome is is all all, all it would be. And it's the only province in all of Canada that doesn't have daylight saving signs. You, You know why? Yo, know, who would want to spend even one more hour in Saskatchewan is the answer. <laughs> okay, I love Saskatchewan. I'd I love all my friends in Saskatchewan. It's such a great province. But, but let me get back to my illustration. So you're traveling across Saskatchewan, and here's how you have to do it. You have to do it one moment at a time. One fence post at a time, one telephone pole at a time, one wheat field at a time. Every once in a while, it breaks up the monotony. You see a canola field, and then you're back to another wheat field. And then, you know, you go through Waldeck, and you go through Wolseley, and you go through all these fantastic W's, and uh, you, you go through from one end to the other. But you can only experience it one moment at a time. But see, that's not how God experiences it. See, God is up in an airplane. He's in 30,000 feet. How many of you have ever flown over Saskatchewan? And notice how much faster it is. And, and, and you look down and you can't see the fence posts, but you can see the little tiny cars down there and you go, boy, I'm, I'm glad I'm not driving that car down there. And you, and you see Mooseman you on this side and you see, you know, Mabel Creek on this side. And you're basically experiencing all the glory of Saskatchewan all in the same moment. And that's how God looks at history. He's not in the moment. You're in the moment. You're on the road. You're not driving across Saskatchewan. You're walking across Saskatchewan is what's happening to you. And what happens is you have to experience every fence post as it comes and every storm and every lightning bolt and every raindrop and every snowstorm and every calamity and every accident on the road. And you're experiencing all of these things in this moment. And God's up in the heavens and he's looking down and you're fretting and you're saying, oh God, don't see it. You see me? And he said, yes, I can see you yesterday i can see you tomorrow by the way you'll be fine i'm with you in the midst of this and i'm wondering if you've ever thought about this how when we forget how great god is and when we forget that he's in the heavens and he's not bound by space or time, we get all caught up in the petty and minutiae of life and these little worries of this day. We go, oh God, where are you? And he's going, I'm right here, man. I got it. Nothing has escaped his notice. He is with you and for you. And guess what? Time doesn't matter because he knows the beginning from the end because he is the beginning to the end. And he's got it. Whatever it is you're going through, He's got. it. So let me close with this little story. So some time ago, this woman came up to me after a Sunday service. She says, "Pastor Mike, I really need your help." I said, "What do you need my help for?" She said, she said, "We're about to lose our house. We need $2,000 by tomorrow." I could have given her $2,000, but I chose not to. And I I have a better idea. I said, why don't we pray? And we asked that God will bring you $2,000. She said, how can God bring me $2,000 by tomorrow? I said, I don't know, but let's pray that God will give you $2,000. So I took her hand and the two of us prayed. And we prayed that by tomorrow she would have specifically $2,000 because that's the exact amount of money she needed. Two days later, she had called me because the next day on Monday, when the mail came, there was a check in the mail for $2,000. And she pulled out that check and she was rejoicing and she was waving it like this. And she said to her husband, look, we can pay our mortgage. We can pay our back fees uh, because I prayed yesterday for $2,000 and today I got $2,000. And instead of celebrating with her, her husband says, you can see where this is going, don't you? Her husband says to her, that check was in the mail anyway. So it would have come whether you prayed or not my question for you is that true is that true keep in mind what i just told you god is not bound by space or time is that true no isaiah 64 says that before you ask i will answer and while you were still speaking i will hear you You see, God's got it covered. He's up here. He knows he's going to have to get you to pray on this day because on this day, you're going to receive the answer. And so it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. God's got it. He's there. He's above the earth, not bound by all the little things that restrict us. And when we get overwhelmed in life like A.W. Tozer, we need to remember the greatness of God. That when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the sun and the moon in which you've ordained. What is man that you visit him? And that's exactly what he wants to do. Visit you in your time of need because he has no limitations and nothing is impossible for him. And the only thing I can say to that is, oh my God. Let's stand together. All right, we're going to take just a quick moment here. I need to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, if you would. And uh, there might be people in this room, probably is, yes, that have never invited Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm not going to call you forward, I'm not going to single you out. God, God knows that you are going to be here today. Maybe you've never thought about the things we talked about today, but today you've got a, a, a different understanding. And you have recognized your need to invite Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. And you've never done it before. Or maybe you've done it in the past and you've fallen away. I want to give you that opportunity to come back. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. I won't single you out. Thank you at the back. Thank you on the side. Anybody else want to join these folks? Not going to call you out. Not going to make you come forward or anything. Anybody else would say yes to this today? All right, wonderful, fantastic. All right, you can all put your hands down. So let's begin there. We're going to do something else as well. It'll just take one minute when we're done here. But but let's let's all pray together because I said I wouldn't single any of these people out. But if you raise your hand, please pray with us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your wonder that all of this you created it all. And even though I've been sinful and broken. And far from you. You cared enough to visit me. And you sent your son Jesus to the earth to die for my sin. And he rose again on the third day. And he ever lives to be my Lord. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Today I'm a new creation in Christ. Today I'm a Christian. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him a shout, shall we? second, Second thing, it'll just take a moment. Every eye closed, every head bowed. So as I was talking at the end there, I was talking about how God isn't limited by time and space, but we are in this world. And sometimes we get caught up, we get jammed up because we think, wow, this situation's too late. God can't deal with this. It's gone too far. It's past the point of no return. And I know there's people in this room and you have situations in your life. They seem too far gone. They, they seem like they, there's no way to unscramble these eggs. And if that's you, I want to pray for you because I believe God has a way for you. And I want you to raise your hand. You have a situation. You know what it is. It seems like it's too far gone. It seems like it's too late. And let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for each one of these people that's raised their hand. Just hold it up to heaven, recognizing that wherever you are, God is not limited by that. And Father, I thank you for each one of these people that you know their situation. You knew it before it started. You knew it while they're in it. You You know the final outcome of it. And Father, I pray that you would bring the resources of heaven to bear upon their situation and that you would unscramble these eggs, you would redeem this situation, you would heal these bodies, you would restore these lives, you would restore these relationships. That whatever it is that seems like it's too far gone, nothing is impossible for you. And I thank you where you make a way, for you make a way where there is no way in Jesus name. And everybody agreed then? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free and find purpose.